the third advent. We've had the first, second, third, and one more to go, right? So what's number three? Before that, what does advent mean? Advent means an arrival of something special or someone special. For example, the advent of the television is usually for the first time, the arrival for the first time. The advent of the television brought so much changes to the world, the social world, the advent of the radio, and if you're talking about transportation, the steam engine and so on, the jet engine, the advent brought changes, something significant. And we are talking about an advent of someone special for the first time. And this promise of this special person arriving had been given from the very beginning. From the very first pages of Genesis, we have this promise. When God said to Adam and Eve, the, there will be someone special who will crush the evil one. That's 6,000 years before it actually happened. And throughout the pages of uh, the Bible, this advent, this promise has been renewed again and again. As Johnny reminded us, the, Psalms, the psalmist reminds us in very great detail what's going to happen uh, with this special person when he comes, how his hands and his feet are going to be pierced and so on. Very great detail. And Isaiah as a prophet also gave much detail about this special person who is coming. And today's passage is, is about that as well. So Isaiah came about 700 years before the actual events took place. So for 700 years, people had to kind of think of what Isaiah said about this special person. So people of Israel were, were looking forward to these promises of God, of this Messiah to come, the anointed one. So every year, the, the first to fourth Advent uh, Sundays, we remember how the people of God were looking forward to the arrival of this notable person. He was going to be a miracle child. Because in Isaiah 7.14, he says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. A sign is a miracle. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. So these are very powerful things that have been spoken about this special person. And God is in the business of setting up memorials. God wants his people to remember things because we are very good at forgetting, aren't we? Many of you will forget this sermon by the time you've had your uh, lunch. That's fine, you know. Sermon is like a nice meal or whatever, you know. Sometimes a bad meal could be. Uh, but you don't forget, you don't, you don't remember what you ate at the restaurant, but you know you enjoyed it, and your body was definitely nourished by it. Sermons are like, just like that. It's food for your spirit. You might not remember. If you could remember, that's very good, and I would like you to remember at least some of the things at the end. So God wants us to remember, and God wants us to set up memorials. In Joshua chapter 4, God said uh, to, to Joshua, when you cross this Jordan, it was... Flooding time, but God stopped the water and they crossed on dry ground. He said, from the middle of the river, take 12 stones and set up a memorial on the other side. So when your children, your grandchildren look at this thing and ask you, dad, mom, what's this? You can tell them this is what God did. So God is into 
people remembering things. And that's why we remember the coming, how people in the Old Testament time remembered and looked forward to the coming of this special person. Now, along with those promises, there was another promise for another special person. A special person who would also be a miracle child. He was born to a man called, a priest called Zechariah and his wife, uh, Elizabeth. And his name was John. And we call him John the Baptist. Now he was also a miracle child. Isaiah prophesied about in 40, Isaiah 40 verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So John the Baptist came baptizing people. Uh, to, uh, for the repentance of sins. Now, where did that come from? The Old Testament doesn't talk about baptism. So where did that come from? Within the, 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 the silent period, we call it the silent period, it's nothing but silent, but the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, there was this intertestamental period of about 400 years. During this time, some of the Jewish people who were really serious about the scriptures went into an area called Qumran, where we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they started copying the, the, the Old Testament scriptures. And they, they lived a separated life. And the scholars believe that John the Baptist, they were called Essenes, and they, he went and joined these guys, and they had certain rituals that they performed. Uh, in, in, in symbolic uh, rituals of purification and so on. And these people went into the water in morning and evening to purify themselves because they believe they cannot handle the word of God unclean. So this um, ritual or, or tradition of baptism comes from that practice people believe. And Jesus, by coming to John and being baptized, endorsed that practice of this outward symbol of being purified from... Uh, and then with more meaning is given to the act of baptism. So John the Baptist is the forerunner of this new special person coming. He himself was special, but he was pointing to an even special person. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, so Isaiah 35 tells us uh, what is going to happen when this special person arrives. So I'm going to read uh, the, these verses as well as I go along. Uh, the verse 1, chapter 35, verse 1 says, The desert and parched land, I'll stop there, and the wilderness it talks about. It talks about the current state of the world. It's, gonna, it's a desert, it's a parched land, it's a wilderness, it's, it's negative, negative picture. Into this negative situation, something positive is going to happen. He's telling you negative world, rejoice, because you are going to blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It, uh, it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So the very, from the very first verse, there is very positive message in this passage. It's calling us for joy and rejoicing for the good news that is to come. We've just had an election, general election, this whole passage sounds like an election promise. It's too good to be true. The only difference is the promise is given by God and not man that he should lie. That's the difference. From verse 2, it talks about the transformation. Transformation. And verses 3 and 4 is how we should prepare, how the people 
in that, that time who heard this prophecy should prepare. It says, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. He's giving people hope. The, the desire that people have for justice is going to be fulfilled. That's why it talks about retribution and vengeance. Because we see so much evil taking place. We think, how come these things are permitted? But God will address those issues. Justice will be met when this event takes place. So that's verses 3 and 4. How to prepare for this great, uh, great event that is to take place. Verses 5, and, 5 to 8. These are uh, 5, 6, 7, 8. Four verses. Um, talks about what we can experience when this special person arrives. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The, burn, the burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs in the uh, horns where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. These four verses has a mixture of real and metaphorical uh, messages embedded into it. Blind eyes open could be literal blind eyes opening and people receiving that kind of healing. It could be people's... Uh, misunderstandings and deceptions being removed from them. So these things are going to happen during this time. These are the times that we are living in according to this prophecy. See, this prophecy has a timeline. We are in this period from verses 5 to 8. Now, from verses 9 to 10, it says, No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast, they will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrows and singing will flee away. Now this bit of the prophecy hasn't happened yet. This, is, this prophecy is still to be fulfilled because when we look around us, there is evil. There are ravenous beasts everywhere. The holiness, the way of holiness is not the only way that is there. There are lots of ways of unholiness around us. So this bit of the prophecy is still to be fulfilled. So the advent talked about in this passage as has actually happened. The early verses of this passage as has actually happened. The special person has come. But there is yet more to be fulfilled in this. And this is where we come. And this is where our real advent is focused on. Now, every passage, every sermon must have an application for ourselves, for our lives, right? Sermons shouldn't be just a, a, a session where you get some information and then you go out and that's it. No, it has to have an application. So what is the application of this passage to us now? Acts 1.11, at the ascension of Jesus, where Jesus ascended to heaven and people are watching him going up. Uh, two men in, in white clothes came to them and said this, 
This same Jesus, who has been taken from you to, into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go, go into heaven. He will come back in the same way. This special person is going to come back. There's going to be another advent. 2 Peter 3, 3 to 11, it says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Remember in the 700 years from Isaiah to Jesus, or even before that, I'm sure there were scoffers saying, oh, where's the promise that Isaiah said of this great Messiah who is going to save Israel? We are oppressed. Uh, there's all this Roman evil going around us. Where is that person? There must have been scoffers at that time. But Jesus did come. God keeps his promises. Second Peter 3, 3 to 11, it says, I'm not going to read all the scripture, all the verses there, but some. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. This is which we read. They will say, where is this coming uh, he promised? Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Status quo. It's going to be like this. Another five years, we'll have another general elections. Another five years, another general election. This is how it is. Skipping a few verses there, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, as with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It will come. This is our advent. This is the application for us today. And in the passage we read, it taught the people how to prepare to strengthen the feeble needs, to be positive, to be optimistic. So how do we prepare today for the advent that is to come? I would like to take you to the 25th chapter of Matthew, where Jesus starts that uh, chapter with uh, the parable of the ten virgins. The virgins always represent the church. And in that parable, there were ten virgins. Five were prepared, five were not prepared. The five that were prepared were led into the uh, marriage supper with the bridegroom. The other five missed out. Now, if I were to give a proportion <clears throat> to the numbers that Jesus is using here, 50% of the church missed out. That's a serious thing to think about. So in this period of time that we are looking forward to the advent, these are the things we need to focus our minds on about the last days, about the return of Jesus. It is called the glorious hope of the church. And God has come to give us hope. We always sing about it. We preach about it. But what is the glorious hope? And how much do we think about the glorious hope? 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 16, it says, According to the Lord's word, we tell you. Now Paul is talking and preaching to the church of the Thessalonians. That, who, uh, that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. See, Jesus is coming. These are the truths that we have to look forward to, just like the people in the Old Testament look forward to Jesus coming as a baby, as a suffering servant. Our Jesus now is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to rule the world with a scepter of iron. That's what he says. And we need to prepare our hearts to be alert and looking forward to that. And our actions, our thoughts, our words must be filtered 
through these truths. If we really believe something, we will act upon it, right? So the, the, when I say filtered, let's just imagine a sieve. A sieve. You, a gardener wants to have good soil without rocks and debris. He, he, he takes a spade full of earth from the ground. He puts it on the sieve and sieve it. And the earth that he requires, the soft earth, comes through the sieve. 